and we'll be reading from verses 10 to 15. Though Hugh will be speaking particularly on verses 14 and 15, but to get context, we're reading chapter 6, verses 10 to 15. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that by the means of your word now, each person in this room would know whose side they're on. Pray for those who are on the Lord's side, that they would be strengthened for the fight. And we pray for those who are held captive now by the enemy, that they would be liberated through the Savior's blood <coughs> and welcomed to the right side, to the winning side. And we commit that to you now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some have described it as the worst attack on the Jews since the Holocaust. Talking, of course, about the attack of Hamas on Israel. <coughs> from the Gaza Strip, and in the first 24 hours of their assault, 1,200 lives were taken, and 240 hostages were taken too. The death toll is now 10 times that number. And so we were hopeful weren't we, around seven to ten days ago, <clears throat> when a, a ceasefire was announced. But now as the war continues, we pray for an end to the conflict altogether, don't we? Well, last Sunday morning, we arrived at the fullest treatment of the topic of spiritual warfare in the Bible. And what we need to remember today is that in this conflict, 
the conflict between the devil and the church, there has never, nor will there ever be a ceasefire, not until Jesus Christ returns. And that's why Paul commanded us last Sunday, be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord, he told us. And we saw, first of all, the source of strength, didn't we? The whole armor of God. And we saw, second, the purpose or the goal of strength, which was to stand. And that word, the the first word of verse 14 today, is how we can distill our text today down into one word, stand. Because the reason that Paul commends the the belt of truth to us and the breastplate of righteousness to us and the shoes of readiness to us is because God's armor enables us to stand. You see that? These, These pieces of armor, they're not here for literary effect or some kind of rhetorical flourish. They're not there because good authors know how to put the eye in the ear via vivid word pictures. No, the point is the armor of God is how we stand against the devil. And friends, we need to heed this call to stand today, don't we? Because from a worldly perspective, from a godless point of view, there are reasons to bail on Jesus Christ and to go AWOL in his war altogether. You'll be more included in school or at work. You'll be more respected. People will welcome you as as someone who's no longer uh, out of step with the culture, no longer on on the wrong side of history. You might even find that you're more at peace within yourself because it's not always easy to to swim upstream and to buck the trend of the whole world. And so since the temptation to bail on Jesus Christ is a real temptation, we need to heed this call today to stand, to stand firm. And to do that, that's why we're going to be looking, number one, at the belt of truth, number two, the breastplate of righteousness, and number three, the shoes of readiness. So let's look first then at number one, the belt of truth. The belt of truth. Look at verse 14. Stand therefore, Paul writes, having fastened on the belt of truth. Now, when Paul wrote these words, the, the soldier's belt was actually a part of his underwear. Uh, the point was for him to lift and to tie his tunic tight around his body to be unobstructed, to be free to move in in battle or in conflict. It's like today, uh, cyclists or sprinters or gymnasts, they, they compete in skin-tight clothing, don't they? Well, why, why do they do that? Well, it's for them to, to be unobstructed and for them to be free in their competition. And the belt of truth is meant to do that for us soldiers 
of Jesus Christ. It's meant to free us up and it's meant for us to stand unhindered against the enemy. The question therefore is, what is the belt of truth? Exactly what is Paul telling us to to fasten around our bodies as it were? Well, interestingly, uh, in the early centuries of the church, it was thought that the belt of truth uh, was thought to refer to the truth. So the belt of the truth of God's word or the truth of, of the gospel or the truth of sound theology. But it was the reformers a little bit later on who pointed out that Paul doesn't say here, fasten on the belt of the truth. He says, fasten on the belt of truth. In other words, to the believer's truthfulness, to the believer's integrity, to the believer's honesty or transparency of life, truth in the inner parts, as the psalmist puts it in Psalm 51. So, so which one is it then? Well, friends, I believe there's actually room for, for both understandings here. Because on the one hand, the truth of the gospel, it does free us up to be unhindered in God's holy war. Let me give you an example. So one of the schemes of the devil in our lives is, is false accusation. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 says that Satan is the accuser of the children of God and he accuses them day and night. But when we fasten on the gospel truth that says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, we find that we are freed up. We find that we are unhindered in our stand against the enemy. But on the other hand, our truthfulness Our integrity as believers frees us up to stand against the devil too. Why? Because a clear conscience gives the devil nothing to work with. Do you see that? If if the devil accused me, for example, of of stealing from the church like Judas did, I, I would not lose one wink of sleep over that. Why? Well, because Gloria and I give to the church and I don't take any more than you lovely and maybe slightly crazy lot agree to pay me. And so a clear conscience frees the believer up to stand firm in the war. We will be hindered though. We will be obstructed. We will be impeded when the devil has valid grounds on which to accuse us. That's when we will be tied up in his knots. When you have spoken against that church member in a way that you shouldn't have. Or when you have thought more highly of yourself than you ought to. Or when your eye has wandered and your imagination has gone to a place it should never have gone. That's when the devil's voice will sound like the voice of reason when he says to you, see, you're just pretending. You're a fake. Throw yourself into the world because obviously you're of the world. I heard a preacher say a few years ago that no one is more pro-choice than the devil when that young girl is walking into the abortion clinic and no one is more pro-life when she's walking out. What did did he mean? 
he means the devil will convince you to sin and then will convict you of sin or accuse you of sin, condemn you for sin once you have sinned. But when the believer is bound by truthfulness, by honesty, by integrity, by transparency, he won't be bound, she won't be obstructed, he won't be hindered by the devil's accusations because the devil will have nothing to accuse us of. So church, listen, if we're going to stand against the devil's onslaught of lies, give him nothing to work with. Give him nothing to work with. Think twice before gossiping about that person in the church. Think three times, or rather 3,033 times before flirting with that colleague. Think again before fishing for that compliment in order for your wife to stroke your ego. Not only, to, uh, not only for the Holy Spirit to be, not to be grieved, but also to avoid giving the devil grounds on which to accuse you. But friend, when you do sin and you will sin, bind the gospel truth around your waist before the devil binds you with his accusation. Fasten on 1 John 1 verse 9. When we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fasten on Micah chapter 7 that says, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. And when I sit in the darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. That's when you will be free. That's when you will be unobstructed in your, in your stand against the devil. Do you know, when I, I used to serve a, a, a church as an assistant in, in, in Yorkshire, there was a, a wonderful man in the church. He's, he's in heaven now. And obviously, I won't give you his name or anything like that. But in, in, in the prayer meetings... I remember he, he wasn't able to get through a prayer of his without bursting into tears. And so I would go and see him, and I would see him <clears throat> quite regularly. And one day he, he pulled his copy of Pilgrim's Progress down from his bookshelf, and he opened it to the part where Christian is introduced to a man sat in an iron cage. And you remember this man is told that there's no hope of him ever getting out of this cage because he's imprisoned himself by his own sin and by his own lusts. And he read it out to me. And then he looked at me in the eye with this look of panic on his face and with tears in his eyes. And he said to me, that's me. And friend, if you would avoid that kind of despair, give the devil nothing to work with in your life. And when you sin, bind the gospel truth around your waist faster than the devil can accuse you of sin. If you're to be unobstructed, unimpeded, unhindered in your stand against the devil. Be vigilant, friends. Be watchful, eagle-eyed on those parts of your life where the devil can accuse you and bind you with his chains.
So Paul says, stand. How are we to do that? Well, via number one, the belt of truth. But second, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, Look at verse 14. Paul writes there again, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, if you've heard uh, a good number of sermons from this passage, then you'll probably, there's a good chance that you've heard someone say that there is no armor for the believer's back. So in other words, you're most vulnerable to attack when you turn your back on Jesus and you begin to walk the other way. And since I've just quoted Pilgrim's Progress, I may as well tell you all that people get that from Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, Right after Christian has, has rested in the palace beautiful at the top of the hill of difficulty, he then has to walk down the valley of humiliation. And on his descent down, he, he spots in the distance Apollyon, a, a, an enemy of God and all of his people. And Bunyan writes this, then did Christian begin to be afraid and to cast in his mind whether to go back or to, to stand, stand his ground. But he considered again that he had no armor for his back and therefore thought that to turn the back to him might give him greater advantage with ease to pierce him with his darts. Therefore, he, Christian, resolved to venture and to stand his ground. And that's just the brilliance of Bunyan, isn't it, really? But not to, not to ruin it for you, uh, but back when Paul was writing this, the, the soldier's breastplate did actually cover both his back and his front because it was designed to protect all of his vital organs, the heart being the most vital of all. And so what Paul is saying here is this, guard your soul with righteousness. Guard your soul, sheath your spirit with righteousness. Proverbs 4.23 says, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it throw the springs of life. Protect your heart, Paul is saying, with righteousness. The question is, whose God's righteousness that he gave to us when we believed the gospel, when Christ bore all of our sins and gave to us his righteousness, or our righteous conduct. Well, as above, I believe there's room for both again. So last week, you you remember I opened the service from a reading from Isaiah 59, where, where God is pictured as this mighty warrior. And Isaiah tells us that, quote, he, God, put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And the truth is that when Jesus died, not only did he bear all of your sin in his body, he clothed you with all of God's righteousness. And it is that righteousness that protects us from discouragement when we realize our imperfections, isn't it? When, we, when we're sick with guilt over our impatience with our wives or our irritability with our children or our, the, the, the spiritual sluggishness of our hearts. They're, they're covered with hope when we remember 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake, God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him, We might become the righteousness of God. So yes, Paul says, church, protect your heart from discouragement by 
claiming the righteousness of Christ that he died to give you. But protect your heart also by walking in righteousness as well. By, by walking in the good deeds that God prepared beforehand for you to walk in. That's when our hearts will be bold and enlivened in the knowledge. Although I am not who I should be, I am no longer who I once was. And by the grace of God, I am who I am. And we'll be bold in the knowledge that I am being conformed to the image of Christ. God is perfecting the work he began in me because I'm no longer who I used to be. And that's when our hearts will burn with boldness. So someone said this, the completeness of pardon for past offense and the integrity of character that belongs to the justified life are woven together in an impenetrable mail. So friends, through a li- even though a, a righteous life will make life harder for you in many ways, it is worth it for the sake of your soul. Isn't that true? Righteousness will make your life harder in many ways, but it will be worth it for the sake of your soul in the battle against the enemy. Back when we were in, in the book of Ruth, I, I, I listened to a, a discussion among some pastors about the, the morality or the immorality of AI, artificial intelligence, and, and sermon preparation. So some of you will know there's this thing called ChatGBT where you can give it a request and it will scan the entirety of the internet and it will put something, put the answer right before your eyes. And so these pastors were discussing the rightness or the wrongness of using that to prepare sermons for them. Well, when I heard that discussion, I'd already written my manuscript for Ruth chapter 3. So out of sheer curiosity... I downloaded ChatGBT and I said to it, write me a sermon from Ruth chapter 3. And in three seconds, this program surveyed every single sermon manuscript in the world in Ruth chapter 3, melted them all down, and then plonked one before my eyes. And it was terrible, just by the way. (laughs) But imagine if, imagine if in the years to come, it could produce something equal to the greatest preachers of the last 2,000 years. It would make my life 2,000 times easier, and it would destroy my soul because my preaching would be a lie. It would be a lie. And when our hearts are not protected by the righteousness of God and the righteousness of our practical lives, our souls will be destroyed in the battle. And what good will we be as soldiers of Christ without our hearts engaged? They'll be wide open to the attack of the the enemy. So church, stand firm as those who have been made righteous in every opportunity to be righteous. That if Jesus has made you righteous, be righteous in all of your conduct. And when you are you will be as bold as a lion. What does Solomon say in the Proverbs? The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. 
We're to stand, Paul says. How are we to do that? Via number one, the belt of truth. And number two, the breastplate of righteousness. And number three, the shoes of readiness. Look at verses 14 and 15. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Uh, Just as we wear uh, flip-flops to the beach and trainers on a run and and black shoes to a funeral, uh, the the Roman soldiers of Paul's days had uh, various shoe types for various assignments. Someone said if they were to march long distances, they would wear short boots with a thick leather sole that offered more comfort than other options. If they were to fight in the battle, in battle, they would wear heavy boots that offered protection and sturdiness. And it's thought that here in verse 15, Paul had in mind the Roman half boot, which left the soldier's toes uncovered, quote, had studded soles and was tied to the ankles and shins with straps. Why? Because as someone put it, while they did not impede his mobility, they prevented his foot from sliding. So in other words, they gave the soldier both stability and mobility in the fight. And that's what the gospel of peace gives us. Stability and mobility in the war. That despite the rage of the devil, our feet can be as stable as mountains, knowing that we have peace with God. And that if God is for us, who can be against us? While at the same time, our feet will be mobilized on mission because we'll want other people to have the same peace with God that we have in and through Jesus Christ. The shoes of readiness given by the gospel of peace, they steady us and they ready us as well. You remember what Paul said in Romans 10? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they, unbelievers, call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. And if you, as a believer, dressed in all of the armor, dressed in all of the armor of God, your feet are beautiful. Because they are steadied by the gospel and they are readied by the gospel as well. Steadied in your peace with God and readied to proclaim the gospel of God that gives peace to sinners. So as I bring this message to a close now, let me say to you believers, do that. Right? In other words, if, if you are steadied and readied by the gospel of proclama- proclamation, proclaim it. The message that saved you is the message that propels you into your calling to proclaim the gospel of peace to those who are bound by the enemy. At the the craft fair 
this past Friday, uh, I, I shared a story uh, about a guy I met just recently, last week actually, who used to make a living as a, as a professional stand-up comedian. And he, he toured the world making people laugh, but on the inside, he was about as miserable as miserable could be. He, uh, he'd gotten into drugs, and he said that it was like he'd thrown his life into a black hole. There was just nothing within him. And so he'd resolved to, to take his own life. And as a, as a last-ditch effort, he looked up to the sky, and he said, God, if, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. And, and nothing happened. So about three days later, he was about to take his life. When this thought landed on him, you don't need to die because Jesus has already died for you. And there was immediate peace, immediate peace with God, immediate peace in his life. What's he doing now? Well, surprise, surprise, he's an evangelist. Because the peace that he has with God is the peace that he wants others to have as well. And listen, I don't have a story like that, but I want a ministry like that. And if you're saved, surely you want that ministry too. Listen, if you don't, and if you would say, truth be told, I'm pretty indifferent actually about other people having the peace with God that I have. Friend, the peace with God that you profess to have needs to become more precious to you. Because we share what we love. And we love what we experience. And so therefore, you need to experience it afresh in your life. It, it, it's got to be made more real to you. It has to be more vital to you. It has to be more wonderful to you in your life. And so for that to happen, I want to commend three A's to you as we close. Number one, admit. Admit your barrenness to the Lord. Admit your, your barrenness to the Lord, knowing that God isn't fooled by your loudest singing voice on a Sunday morning. He, he's not fooled by the, the size of your Bible or the speed at which you're able to find those awkward books of the Bible in the end of the Old Testament. No, he knows the truth. He sees it all together. So friend, admit what God already knows and show him what God already sees. And if you don't have the words, then, then borrow some. Borrow Psalm 63 verse 1 that says, My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And say, Lord, that is my soul. I thirst for you and my thirst is all of my fault. Because I've brought myself into that barren far, far country. And therefore, Lord, I pray that you would bring me back to those flowing streams of refreshment again. Admit your barrenness 
to the Lord. And second, ask for a fresh experience of his peace. What did Jesus say? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For Jesus says, everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Admit, ask, and lastly, attend. Attend the place where peace was brought, bought for you, namely the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. And if you're here today and you're not yet a believer, friend, can I commend those three A's to you as well. Admit your sin, ask for forgiveness, and attend the place forgiveness was bought for you at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let that gospel steady you and ready you for gospel proclamation in this needy world. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us and then we'll sing a hymn of worship together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this steadying and readying gospel. The gospel that gives us peace with you. And the gospel that inspires us to have other people experience that peace with you as well. And Lord, we pray that we would know what it is as a church to dress ourselves in these three pieces of armor. And the three pieces of armor we'll look at, if you will, next week. In order for us to stand and in order for us to share the peace that comes from you with those who need it so much. And we pray for those in this room who do not have peace with you and who have no peace with you or in their lives at all. And Lord, we pray that you will bless them with the knowledge of peace that comes with sins forgiven and righteousness restored. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.